Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. What is up, people? I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 226 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me, as always, is my co-host, but not for this episode, Nick Stembo. I got chills. They're multiplying, <laughs> and I'm, I'm losing control. Because the power you're supplying, well, not you, but the power you're supplying. Yeah, don't put that on me. <laughs> it's electrifying. Okay, let's just, uh, it's like weird and gross, so we're just going to get into it. We had your wife on the podcast today, and I'm guessing Wait, that that's why. did you why. say it's weird and gross? I just, it and felt like something my... that she's sitting right here during our <laughs> intro, and it feels like she's trying to be quiet, and now I'm trying to get her to laugh so people can hear, but you, <laughs> there it is, yes, you, I'm just guessing that that was directed to your wife. Because we just did an episode. Yes, with her. obviously, yeah. obviously, the song from Greece. Although I'll tell you, I feel like um, in the the order that we've been recording podcasts, I've been singing on too many of them. So I didn't <laughs> sing this intro; I just spoke it to talk about my excitement to have my wife join us for a podcast to share our story uh, because she's awesome, and I get chills. Okay, there you go. Oh, everybody said. <laughs> um, okay, I just want listeners to know really quick, I don't ever make fun of you for singing. I know people think I just I make know, fun of you just all the time. Ashley. Oh, yeah. Ashley, you're the worst. But I do not make fun <laughs> of her. I do not make fun of her. Um, okay, but we um, had Michelle, who listener is sitting here just on looking with our intro, um, to talk about your story of healing. We've had, like you've you and I have been on, this is 226 episodes, um, and we've gotten bits and pieces of both of our stories, but some re some listeners recently asked, like, can we hear you guys' stories? And so we thought it made sense to have Michelle come on and share you guys' story with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was realizing it was one of the very first podcasts that I'd shared my story. And I know not all of our listeners have heard all 225 episodes and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but that means that many have not heard the full story. And I just thought, well, why tell it by myself? It's way more fun when my wife is involved and can share her side. And I think for a lot of couples, hearing the two sides um, from a pretty normal couple that walked through this, it's really encouraging. So I, I hope it was, and um, I really enjoyed getting to do it. Yeah. 
It was a lot of fun. A few things. Subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the major platforms. Follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. And also we have this full episode up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. Um, Something we haven't talked about in a while on the podcast, but we still very much love and very much want people to go through is our Sexual Integrity 101 video course. Yeah. And I'm glad we're talking about it because really this product is only just over a year old. Mm -hmm. We haven't had it that long. And it really is a way that we want to encourage people to have a deeper understanding of the entire process of recovering from addiction and betrayal trauma. And we designed it um, as a, a course that anyone could go through. It, it doesn't have to be, well, I'm struggling or my marriage is struggling. I mean, if you are, it's mm-hmm. incredibly helpful and insightful, but we designed it in such a way that a church could watch it, a small group could watch it, parents could go through it. They just want to have an understanding of what is uh, addiction and pornography doing to the brain and relationships mm-hmm. and what does a pathway of healing look like. And so especially at this time of year, you know, if you're listening to this in November, this would be great timing for you and your small group or a group of men or women at your church to watch through it together Mm -hmm. just to be equipped, to be educated, and then look at, you know, early in the new year, being able to launch a group of seven pillars or for women, betrayal and beyond and unraveled. It's such a great introduction. And that's how we want to remind everyone to use it is don't promote it as, well, if you struggle, come watch this, but Mm -hmm. just say, we all are being impacted yep. by a world that is lost in sexual brokenness, and we need to be equipped to be part of the solution and the answer. So let's go through this study together because it's going to help all of us. Yep. And this course is eight weeks long, and it has a workbook that goes with it. There's time to have discussion and weekly work throughout uh, between each meeting. So it is definitely comprehensive. If you want to check out the Sexual Integrity 101 video course, go to puredesire.org slash 101. All right, here's our time with Nick and his wife, Michelle, as they share their story of healing. Michelle Stumbo, welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast. Thank you. We're really excited to have you. Nick, maybe a little bit more excited, excited. Uh, <laughs> to have you on the podcast. But like, this is something we've been talking about for a while. Um, I, you know, We have some listeners who write in and have asked to, to hear our stories. I mean, we know... Nick, you've written a couple books and people get you guys' story through that. You guys have been focused on the family. Just to you know, plug there, go listen to that episode. It was great. Um, and I but, did share my story in episode one or two. It was- One or two, yeah, we did my yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's, and that was like a long time That was, ago. let me count. That was, was like 225 ago. episodes ago. Yeah. So- uh, this was something that, you know, over the 200 episodes, people get bits and pieces, but just thought it would be cool to have you come in and sit down and it's you guys' anniversary on the day of recording. Uh-huh. Congratulations. 21 years. Um, trying to think of how old I was when you got married. <laughs> okay. Yeah, don't. I already feel <laughs> old enough. So Yeah. But we really did just want to give an entire episode. Like, I'll just be asking you guys questions. You're not even really my co-host today, Nick. So I just wanted to ask you guys some questions to really hear your story because I know it is powerful and um, there are a lot of people who will resonate with it. So um, why don't we just start um, how you guys met, when you first held hands. Um, What was marriage like before? Because we know that you guys had sexual brokenness enter the marriage, addiction and betrayal happened. But what was marriage like leading up to that? Well, I was in high school and flew out to this college called Crown College and I visited. Shout um, out Crown College. uh, Yeah. Good college. Um, <laughs> visited a class, and behind me was this guy just trying to be hilarious. And I was like, eh, he's kind of cute. Performer. Yeah. <laughs> Get noticed. <laughs> Pretty girl. Um, yeah, totally. But he, so he noticed me then. Then I flew back to Washington, where I was living at the time. Decided Crown was right for me. Flew back out and att- started to attend. 
Crown, and he was there doing football and made his way into all the new student days activities. He just kept showing up. I'm like, hey, there's that was kind it, of you, funny you not a new guy student, Nor again. was I on the new student days committee, but... <laughs> so you were... Ah, he was stalking me. Uh, <laughs> I was looking for that girl Doing from Tacoma, Washington. Recon, yeah. yeah, nice. So we kind of had friend groups. We hung out, and um, we started dating September 27th. Dated for three years, then got engaged, got married. Good times. <laughs> well, yeah, and that, that's what's unique in our stories. We really entered marriage with an awareness of the sexual brokenness because um, when we were engaged, we were at a chapel and the speaker talked about, you know, your your spouse to be should know everything before you get married and don't mm-hmm. wait till after because yeah. that's, you know, kind of manipulative to reveal things after you're married. And I felt convicted by that. And so we went out for coffee and we didn't even go in the coffee shop, but in the car that night, I just kind of... I laid out my struggles with pornography and acting out sexually and just the, my whole kind of sexual history, so to speak, and mm. um, felt like she needed to know. And so from the get-go, she was aware that that was there. What was that like for you, yeah. you sitting in the car? That was terrible. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, because he was just like, I just never thought he would struggle with that. Mm. I'd heard a yeah. couple of different yeah. guys in chapels like share about their struggle with that, and I was like... Oh, I'm so glad Nick doesn't struggle with that. Um, but actually, that was really, really hard. I just uh, felt like I was punched in the gut a little bit, like mm. so surprised. And then I was like, do I just get out and walk away? <laughs> but then I just, you know, kind of na- naively thought, well, all guys struggle with this. Mm. Once we get married, it'll be fine. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. No. But then, but then <laughs> it was a huge deal. Yeah. So talk about that. Like, when did sexual brokenness really start to like impact? When did it really start to to fracture and make things yeah. rough in the marriage? You know, I remember that night in the car when I shared my story, and and she asked me, she's like, "Well, why don't you just promise me that you'll never do those mm-hmm. things again?" And I remember saying, "I want to make that promise, and I'm going to try really hard." But I know myself and I feel like I've made that promise before and it just, it kind of creeps back in. And so, you know, I'll I'll do my best, but I don't know if I can make that promise. And what's scary looking back is it didn't even occur to me that I was acknowledging addiction. I was acknowledging a behavior in my life that I didn't want, Mm -hmm. she didn't want, but I didn't think I could stop. Right. And so I wasn't under the pretense that like marriage would magically fix it. But I, I think I just felt like I would grow, I'd mature, it would go away eventually because yeah. I mm-hmm. didn't want it in my life. And yet it was only a couple of months into marriage that alone in an office, I found myself looking at pornography and just the shame of like, I have this beautiful wife, mm-hmm. marriage was good. I mean, we had our normal sure. kind of first year bumps in marriage, but it's like, how could I possibly do mm-hmm. this? And I, I think because of that guilt, Eventually got the nerve to go to her and say, hey, I, I need to be honest and, and I need share to tell you that something. I'd, yeah. That I'd <laughs> yeah. Fallen back Not into a it. great yeah. phrase to hear, right? <laughs> we know that. Ever. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was year one. He hmm. started to share and Nick really liked to get everything out there. So he just kept sharing. Hmm. It was never, I mean, it was a secret for a little bit. Like he'd have like three months or six months or a year and I'd be like, oh, maybe, maybe he's good. And maybe then it's better. Yeah. It inevitably always hmm. kept showing up. So it was like year 10 where it got really tough. Yeah. So what, like what happened at year 10? Like what was different from the first nine to then that one? Um, 
I think just like the hope was gone, like he's never going to change, like mm. he's never going to find freedom. And I just like the hurt, like Diane says in the book, like the dis- repeated disclosure is like a rape victim. And mm. I think like it yeah. just had taken too much of an emotional toll that I just was like, I don't really like you <laughs> anymore. Like I plan to stay married, you know, we had kids and I was just like, but this is this is too much. Like I just couldn't take it anymore. So did you just come with him with like one day you're just like, look, I'm done. Like I can't keep doing this. Um, no, he had had a, he was in Minnesota doing seminary and he called me and told me he messed up out there. And I was just like, I don't think I called you. I think I texted you. (laughs) I didn't have the courage. I was so yes. Oh my gosh. Afraid and shame filled. I was like, I sent you a text or something like that. Yeah. Then we we talked. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think I might have hung up on you too. <laughs> it, it was a, yeah. I think that's what happened. You know, that there'd been that process of every six months, couple times a year, hey, I'm still struggling. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. Yeah. You know, and I would do the typical addict thing of use all my words to yep. fix it. And I, yep. in my denial and rationalization, I was trying to be sincere. I mean, yep. when I said, okay, this is the last time. I truly hoped it was, but yeah. was I doing anything different? Did we have any tools to change? Like, I didn't know what else to do other than to just, okay, this time yeah. I've, I've really figured out, you know, how I won't go back that way again and, right. and it'll be different and then it wouldn't be. And I think around year 10 is when I noticed a, a, a change in her demeanor that it was like something in her was shifting, that it wasn't just like, okay, yeah, I forgive you. We'll work through it. And not to ever say it was that easy for her to forgive. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> But there was, a, I would say, a hardness behind her eyes. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm jeopardizing my marriage over yeah. this thing that I've said is no big deal. Yeah. And, and yet I still, that was the, you know, when I'm away at seminary, I, I think going into that relapse, I even knew this could end my marriage and I still relapsed. And it was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, something has to change or I'll lose my marriage. And I felt like, and I deserve to, because yeah. I've made this promise so many times and it hasn't changed what right does, you know, do I have to expect her to stay at that point? Yeah. Um, and, and then that's where we, even then though, we didn't know what to do other than like, okay, yeah, this is kind of do or die. And then thankfully God led us to pure desire a couple of months later. And just for some context, you were pastoring at that point, right? The the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. You were pastoring Mm -hmm. at a church, which I mean, that has its own, right. You are trying to keep kind of a a clean face for everybody. And so the pressure there too. So, and I've heard you talk about this, this story, um, this piece for sure, but that introduction to pure desire. And I know you had a really meaningful conversation with a mentor that kind of helped bridge that gap. Yeah, we were at our district conference mm-hmm. and heard our district leaders in a very still rare and uncommon step say, we want to help pastors who struggle. And if your behaviors don't involve other people, you know, physical contact or illegal things, we, we want to work to keep you in ministry mm-hmm. so you can thrive and not just fire you because of this struggle. So we've got this program. Um, and I sat there thinking, boy, I, I hope the guys who really struggle <laughs> are listening. Because that wasn't yeah, me. I, right. you know, I was two months into this new era of like, man, build the wall around me of boundaries so I'll never look at it again. I, yeah. I think I'm good. But you know, thankfully, Michelle was at that same conference, and mm-hmm. her reaction was a little different than mine. Um, yeah, when I heard them start speaking, I was like, this is it. This is the answer to my prayer. This is what's going to work. This is going to save my marriage. And I just sat there like crying. Yeah. And he like looks over and he's like, oh, I think I'm going to get to do this. 
program. <laughs> I remember there was like a prayer time at the end and Michelle had gone forward for prayer and I was like, what's she? And Just you know, in talking about it afterwards, it's like, she's like, so you're going to call that? Because there was a contact person. Yeah. This was yeah, the yeah. mentor. You're going to call him? And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess I could. And so I went down and... <clears throat> Again, just so stuck in my own denial, mm. the fog of minimization, spent the better part of an hour telling this mentor why I didn't need the TED program. <laughs> yeah. That's what I called it back then. Yeah. And and he asked those three critical questions of, okay, Nick, that might be, but he said, you know, how long has it been in your life? Um, how many times have you tried to stop? And is it causing you or people you love significant pain? And, you know, my answers were, you know, it's been in my life since I was a teenager. So we're going over 15 years. I've tried to stop repeatedly yep. and it keeps coming back. And I said, I think if I don't stop, I think my wife will leave me. Yeah. And he, he said, okay, Nick, that's the clinical definition of an addict. Hmm. You know, I remember sitting back like he had just punched me because yeah. it, it felt like a gut punch, like, whoa, whoa, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and yeah. I'm, I'm sincere about my faith and yeah. I'm not living a double life. And yeah. I didn't have this hidden stash or people that I was living a double life with. It was like, no, I'm, I'm doing what the church taught me. I'm, yeah. When I sin, I confess, and I'm working really hard to change. I'm not an addict. Yeah. But it was like, oh, that, that actually started to explain some things. Mm -hmm. And that's when we, um, later that month, I think, went down to Pure Desire as a couple mm -hmm. for a full day of, of counseling together. Wow. Yeah. And that day, I was, again, it was like the second day. The first time was the initial um, conference. But like talking to Ted and Diane and just listening to everything they said, I was like, like, I just felt like a whole huge weight was like mm. being lifted off and there was like a little bit of hope, like yeah. this is going to work. But I think Nick was still like, hmm. I don't <laughs> really need this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and like, so that, that tends to be, and, and our clinical director, Tyler has told us about this, that more often than not, it is the betrayed spouse. That's the one that reaches out that wants to start that healing process. They're mm -hmm. the one who's obviously more ready to start. Um, but when we get into that, and we ask this question every time we do a stories of healing, there are hurdles, there are things that get in your way, whether, you know, it could be family of origin, it could be how far away a group is, you know, it could be all these things. What were some for you guys that you felt like were real hurdles you had to work to get over to really get traction for healing? Um, I'm sure there's a ton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first thing that comes to mind is I actually was like kind of upset that I had to go to group because mm. I was like, no, this like he needs it. Like I have kids and you know, yeah. all that right. little, little kids. It's like I don't have time to do a group. And then the homework <laughs> was kind of intense. So I was like kind of an angry person <laughs> for a while till I saw like the benefits and the yeah. what it does. Right. So that was one hurdle at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that excuse for me too of oh, we're just so busy. We got young kids. Yeah. I was a high school cross country coach in addition to being a pastor and all the meetings that come with that. It's like, I, you know, I said to Ted and Diane Roberts, like, well, can't we just meet with you and, and that'd be good enough? And they're like, no, you need a group. You need community. And, um, and, and I think also that fear of I am a pastor and nobody knows uh, about this struggle, at least publicly. I'd had a couple of conversations with my elders, which um, honestly was a huge key factor because their awareness that that issue was in my life and that they hadn't fired me. I, I knew there was some grace there to approach them. Mm -hmm. So that really helped. But, but there was still that shame factor of like, if I'm a pastor and I go into a sex addicts recovery group, it felt like saying I'm a failure and mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Yeah. And, and I just, 
that was a huge hurdle for me because it's it's like accepting yeah. failure and defeat. And as you know, a three on the Enneagram, that's the last thing any of us want to do. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Right. So just kind of getting to that place of going, well, you know, Ted tells me I have to go, and my wife seems to want me to go. So I think that was just the big hurdle of like accepting that I fit into the category mm -hmm. of the person that needs this group. Yeah. And kind of getting over that that shame. Yeah. There's another hurdle too of the like timeline of growth. Like he. I didn't know everything that goes on in his head or like mm -hmm. all the recovery that was happening. I just, you know, could see his actions and his words. And um, so it, the, the healing was longer for me. I was still like more like, well, yeah. the shoe's going to eventually drop. Like it's going to drop. I mm -hmm. just know it's going to drop. <laughs> but then it didn't. But like, so he was so like proud of himself and mm -hmm. like feeling like on like way up here. And I was still kind of like. It. We're <laughs> doing so good. Yeah. Totally. I'm like, uh Okay. Yeah. It took about two years for me to fully like be like, oh, this is working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've said it on the podcast before that she couldn't see what I was no longer doing. Yeah. You totally. know, my, my addiction were things I was hiding from her and right. she didn't know about. Right. So to feel proud that I'm no longer doing the things you didn't know about before, yeah. it's like, yeah. I look back and go, man, yeah, I, I was really looking for kudos in all the wrong places. <laughs> but I, I think it was for for her and for I, you know, the message Diane gave us a lot was don't trust his words, trust his actions. Yeah. Because I had used my words and because I'm, you know, eloquent and can make a good case for, hey, here's why you can trust me this time. Totally. And here's why it's different. That was my go-to. And yeah. for both of us to just go, words aren't going to be enough to fix this. It will yeah. have to be action consistently over time. Yeah. Um, that will bring her around to seeing, I, I think this time really is different. It's yeah. not just more of the same. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, a lot of people who are listening, and I love this next question because this next question is, what are some strategies you tried that didn't work? And I think that this is great because this is a place where we can kind of call out some of those old like behavior modification and just the like slap Jesus on it and everything will be okay. So mm -hmm. for you guys, what were some of those strategies that you had tried? I know we've kind of already talked about some of them, mm -hmm. but um, wh like what didn't work and why do you think that doesn't work? Um, the first thing I can think of is policing like mm. I was um unaware that being his accountability partner was really bad <laughs> for you probably <laughs> for me yeah yeah um because I think I don't know much but um about the brain but I think for men and women we're different and so like if I read something in his report like I I remember everything I've ever read in his reports where he doesn't remember you know mm. so like yeah. Way, way back, 21 years ago. No. <laughs> yeah. um, she has a diary. It's like, I don't know. I like, I just have all triggers from yeah. all those yeah. things well, that that's, I that's learned trauma. about. Total yeah. Trauma causes you to remember things. Yeah. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, having that was just not good for me. That was, I don't, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think um, for me, there was a couple things come to mind, like what I would call boundaries without community. So like boundaries of I've got all the accountability software yeah, right. and, you know, we won't have a TV that I watch alone and I won't use my computer in a private office and just boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. But there was no like understanding of what was driving my behavior or people that I could be honest with. It was just mm -hmm. thinking I can somehow isolate myself enough that I'll never see it again. Mm -hmm. And I, honestly, I think that's kind of what a lot of us heard in our Christian upbringing is if you struggle, you know, bounce your eyes. And mm -hmm. so for me, it was kind of the glorified outcome of bounce your eyes was just keep it all so far away from you, you'll never see it. But 
that was impossible because mm-hmm. sooner or later there would be cracks in, in that armor, whether yeah. it was my emotional state of mind or access to something that because none of the heart work had happened, mm-hmm. I would find myself when those opportunities would pre- present themselves, be like, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. And it would suddenly yeah. become an excuse. So that's, that's one thing I would say. Um, another strategy that I would say didn't work, and this might sound counterintuitive at first, but uh, I think my other go-to was I'll, I'll just work on the marriage. Because if we have a strong enough marriage, I just won't want those things. Yeah. And it kind of yeah. goes into that classic idea that, well, my sex addiction or my porn addiction, because that's what it was for me was the pornography, that it's about sex. And if I'm just fulfilled yeah. in my wife and in our relationship, whether physically or emotionally, mentally, like then I won't need it. Yeah. And and that's a good idea. And it's also, again, what I think our upbringing in the church teaches us, like, well, just be satisfied in your wife and yeah. you'll have no need for anything else. Right but was totally blind to the reality that my addiction had nothing to do with sex. Mm-hmm. And and it actually contributed to the shame because there were times when I felt like our relationship, both physically, you know, spending time together, was at some of its best that within a day or two of that, I would be acting out with pornography. Mm-hmm. And that shame of like, here God has given me this wonderful marriage and I just go and like throw trash it. Yeah. What is what is wrong with me as a man that I would choose yeah, that? Totally. So... <clears throat> I think looking back, though, that it's always wise to invest in your marriage. But mm-hmm. believing that that would somehow fix my struggle, there was just a disconnect because the two weren't actually as related as I thought. So mm-hmm. that was a big one, I think, to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I I think some of the previous conversations we've had on the podcast, like Sheila Ray Gregoire, we've had some conversations with her um, about what that does, that narrative. We even had a Mythbusters episode um, a while back about guys needing sex every 72 hours and what that does to the spouse, like what that also communicates. Because then, I mean, and I'm not sure what your experience was, but like if the sex life is healthy and you do have a healthy marriage and he's still acting out, Mm -hmm. then it becomes, well, it's something I'm doing wrong. Yeah. 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 I think I internalize a lot of, well, there's something wrong with me. (laughs) Something. And... You know, I had a hundred things that were probably in my mind why mm-hmm. he acted out. Yeah. yeah. And that was another strategy I think that didn't work because I would hear her say those kind of things. And, so, and, and to me, it would be like, oh, she just doesn't understand the struggle. And to try to assure her, oh, it's not about mm-hmm. you and you're so beautiful and you're so great and you're a wonderful wife, thinking that like somehow that would fix it. Right. When I, I was really blind to the reality that no... That was her reality. That was how it was making her feel. And that her feelings were completely natural and to be expected based on what I was doing. So it didn't matter how it made sense in my head. It was like that was her reality. And and part of the, you know, I I think the difference between back then and what we've experienced in the last 11 years of our marriage was just that willing, the willingness for me to accept that is her reality. And rather than telling her she's wrong, (laughs) to accept that reality and say, okay, how can I work on helping and not being a part of that problem? Totally. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you guys this question, um, both individually and Michelle, I want to start with you. Like you talked about how, uh, no pressure. You talked about how you didn't want to go to group. Like why do I have to, you know, and we are so many betrayed spouses who feel that way. Yeah. So for you, when did it finally click that, oh, okay, I see why I need to go to group and why healing is so important for me as an individual? Um, I think 
Well, I had to do book one twice. Well, <laughs> it used to be three books. I know now it's just one book. So it used <laughs> to be three school. books. Yeah. And so I did book one. And then Diane was like, uh, I think you're still like numb. <laughs> okay. And so yeah. I had to do it again, which was just like, oh, no yeah. fair. <laughs> right. um, so I really think it was book two when it started to dive into like my own growth and my own healing mm. and realizing all the areas um, that I needed to work through or, you know, family origin of trauma yeah. and stuff. Because um, I've, I've realized when I started to become a more healthy person, then I was a more healthy spouse. And I feel like that's where the real shift and change started mm. to happen. Yeah. We learned how to communicate, which I thought, I thought we were really good communicators. Totally, <laughs> yeah. Like, we were the best communicators. Because um, we did, we had a great marriage other than this one little deke totally. thing. Um, it was great. Yeah. And I would say that to myself all the time in my journals, like, everything is great <laughs> except for this. And yeah. it, you know, just destroys you. Hmm. Um, I lost my thought. No, it's good. I mean, and then Nick, like you, like, when did it finally, because again, thinking like more sex with my wife, healthy marriage, these things are going to work. If I just confess, if I just bring it to the Lord, like, when did it click that it, it isn't those things, that there's more to it? Yeah, I think for me, um, a real clicking moment, and I've shared it before, but just the, that group experience of initially going to my group and being like, this is dumb. I don't want to <laughs> tell people. I don't want more friends. I don't want I don't want to hear their stories. Like, I just want to get better. <laughs> and so kind of, you know, going through some initial groups of just trying to endure it, but listening to men share in ways I had never heard and and then being invited to share, you know, and sometimes just reading my answers and being like, I feel so stupid saying these things mm -hmm. and here I'm a pastor and now they're going to be, you know, mm -hmm. rolling their eyes and, and I would share things and the group was just like, man, thanks for sharing. And we're mm -hmm. so glad you're here. And it's so cool that you're in this group. And I'm yeah. like, what? Like, cause I had never done anything totally. performance wise for them. I'd, yeah. I'd never preached to them, led them. Like all I'd done was come and share my garbage and they, they accepted me. Mm -hmm. And, and a couple of months into that process of realizing, because every Thursday night we would load up our kids yep. and get in our minivan and drive up to our group night. And it was a pretty major effort, but I realized like one of those nights as we're driving up, I'm like, I've been looking forward to this all week mm. because it was the only place I felt I could actually be, that I could let my guard down 100% and yeah. just be real. Yeah. And that in sharing my story, it was changing me. And so I think that clicked of like, I finally realized why just trying to beat it on my own wasn't working because I was mm. stuck in so much blindness and inability to see my patterns. And when you start to share your story and say things out loud in a group, some of the the like aha or I would say duh moments yeah. were like, <laughs> how have I not seen this before? Like this right. pattern is so obvious, but yeah. that that's really where I think the fog of denial. And so this is the other thing I'd say where it clicked is as that fog of denial really, I think, started to lift through group and hearing other people's stories, there was a lot more empathy in my heart where I started to realize like the truth of how it was making her feel and mm -hmm. accepting that reality and not yeah. trying to um, kind of hide behind, well, I'm such a great husband, so why is she mad? Yeah. And, and think we should be okay, but to accept that, no, I've, I've really deeply wounded her and, yeah. and I have to do a lot of work to regain that trust. Like, that, that took a while, honestly, to get to that point, but mm -hmm. I, I think it came because of the honesty I was invited to have in group yeah. to start to work through all that denial. Yeah. And I think being in group helped me um, hear other women because, yeah. like, I was a pastor's wife, so I had no one in church to share with, you totally. know? <laughs> so I'm like, who do I go to? Yeah. And there was no one to share with, so having that group of women to share with, but also for them to put into words what I was feeling, mm. 
And I was like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. And yeah. then I could go like, hey, <laughs> right. babe, here's what I'm feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Here's and why I'm so could, mad like, at you right now. It. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Whereas before, I'm just like, oh. So was there a moment like as you watch Nick go through the recovery process as you're getting your own healing as well, was there a moment where you're like, okay, things have changed. Like you kind of realized there is hope. Our marriage is going to be okay. Was there a mm -hmm. moment for you that you realized that? I think it was like year two when the shoe, shoe didn't drop ever. I was like – and he just changed. Like mm. I don't really know how to explain it, but like he changed. He saw me differently. It was I, – I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I could tell he was changing. His actions were different. Um, I had faith in the accountability or the pure desire groups that they were keeping him accountable so I like every year with less and less like worry because mm. it was like this haunting like totally yeah thing yeah always like every day he'd go to work and I'd be like if he doesn't mess up today yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah I can't handle it if he messes up was so. there a moment where you saw it in her <laughs> like you're just like okay we're locked in now like we're headed we're, we're gonna be okay yeah I don't know if there was any one moment um yeah, I definitely remember going through kind of the process of this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> um, right. and, and I would bring that up in, in conversation to say, you know, I feel like you still don't trust me and I've worked so hard. And, you know, I look back and just realize I, I needed to be more patient because there were on the flip side, there mm. were signs of like, wow, we're headed in a, in a new direction. You know what I talked about earlier, um, seeing that hardness in her eyes of just like, wow, I think she really doesn't like me. Yeah. <laughs> like that was, that was gone. There <laughs> yeah. was a new, there was a new depth to our communication. Like, yeah. um, and I, I would say in that communication, she was opening up in ways I hadn't really seen her before. Hmm. And, and so that was, I think the byproduct of her group experience and getting more in touch with some of her family of origin issues and the wounds that she'd experienced in life. And she hadn't really known how to process with me it was connecting at that new level. It was like, wow, we're like, now we're really connecting and, and learning what intimacy is, honestly. Um, so again, I, I don't know if I could say, well, there was this one moment, yeah. but it was a lot of those conversations that it's like, oh, that we've never really had a conversation like that, yeah. that, that didn't end up with her, either her stonewalling or me feeling rejected. Right. Like we kept working through something and yeah. arrived at kind of a better place. And yeah. That, that gave me a lot of hope, I think. Yeah, and I think it's important for our listeners to know that it might not just be one moment where it's just, boom, there it is, but it is over time, mm -hmm. you just start to feel less and less afraid and you feel more and more confident in your marriage mm -hmm. relationship. Um, okay, so for both of you, Nick, we'll start with you. Um, with battling through addiction, what are some key elements you found on your journey to uh, really finding that healing from that struggle? Yeah, well, I think we've both mentioned just the group environment of, mm -hmm. you know, having people that you're honest with and able to tell your story and, and be real. Uh, that That's, I think, just that's not like something we did for a season. That's a new way of doing life. And, and to me, that is a big part of a key healing element is not just looking at, OK, what do I have to do to get better or what do I have to do to make her happy? Mm -hmm. But really looking at, OK, what is my new normal? And so I think now my life is less about like, well, what are my my guardrails or boundaries and just more what are the norms of how I do life um, and, and I think that really does support long-term healing because I am still human and mm -hmm. I still have I'm still sinful in the sense that I'm not perfected and so I have to be aware there's patterns that could easily re-emerge and just the ways I use the internet where I take my phone when I watch tv um, th those things long-term are changed not because yeah. they're on a guardrail list just like that, that's just not what I do and so yeah. I I think for all of us, it's looking at what does that new normal look like? And then I would, I would say the other piece is just the new normal of our relationship. The, 
um, the commitment to connecting on date nights, of being real with one another, because you know it, we're going through new, new seasons now as parents, yeah. like of teenage daughters, and that's a whole new ball game of when we went we through our healing. Yeah, we do. We pray for like, you. There are brand new stressors. <laughs> okay, this is new, and to just realize we're in it together, and we're going to have conversations, and we don't have to be perfect. Um, I think that's honestly a key to to healing is just to continue in some of those patterns that you learn early on. Yeah. So what about betrayal trauma for you? Just that experience. What are some things you found are some key elements? Um, like maybe a, a woman comes up to you and says, this is what I'm going through. And you're able to kind of give her some of here are like the pillars, if you will, of finding healing from that. Um, a lot of times the biggest, um, I feel like the thing that's helped the most is sharing with the ladies next boundary list because mm. it's we don't want to like it's really hard for us to to do the like boundary list or the um action plan because we feel like sometimes we're like parent to our spouse mm. and so I can share that list with them and they're like oh okay and they can see it like okay um I don't know that's really been helpful for what us. What do you I, like because there are a lot of women again that felt like you did where like group that's not for me what encouragement do you give to women to join a betrayal group i just know it works (laughs) (laughs) like your story right you can share your story i can share my story yeah like you can share your story to them and then that invites them into that yeah yeah Sorry. No, that's good. It's okay. No, I mean, you guys like it is, he shares a lot of stuff that you also probably feel the same way. Totally. So, um, all right. So you're a pastor, pastor's wife, um, have probably what you guys hope, you know, looks like the perfect family type of, of thing, but there's all this going on. You're going through healing. Um, this is such a private thing. Like we don't have a lot of people stand up like, I'm super excited to share about my husband's addiction with everybody (laughs) or, you know, like here's my struggle. So what kind of gave you the courage and what really created that opportunity for you guys to start sharing your story? Yeah. Uh, Ted Roberts made me. (laughs) (laughs) That could be an answer for like all these questions, right? No, I, you know, I was ready to just, you know, get better and move on and not make a big deal of it. But yeah. And I've shared this on the podcast several times that, that his encouragement of saying, if, if you struggled with all the advantages you had in your life of a good family and of being a pastor, you know, how many of the men in your church do you think struggle? And if, if you act like this isn't a problem for you, are they going to get better yeah. versus if you open up, what will happen? And, and that vision of, yeah, there's a lot of people that are hurting and this could make a difference. And so it, it was, that's definitely a, a big jump between she and I going to get counseling alone together. Right versus standing in front of my church and sharing our story. But it, it just felt like the right thing to do because of that vision of how it could impact our church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really truly was amazing how, I, I say overnight, but it literally was almost overnight that men and women are coming to us, sharing their story, groups are launched. I mean, it just changed because the senior leader is saying, yeah. I've had an addiction to pornography. I'm on a healing journey. Would you come with me on? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you know, Katie barred the door. Now it's yeah. anyone who wants to come in. Yeah. It's safe. And, and it just made such a huge difference. So we got to obviously see the results in a mm-hmm. good way. And I, I know not everyone will have a church environment like that, that some have told me they've shared and they did get a lot of blank stares or people like, oh, you know, we don't talk about that here. Yeah. And um, But for us, it was just what God led to. And, and that's not to say every person needs to stand in front of their church. 
But I, I do think starting to share with others for the impact it can have on them um, is a big part of our healing. And I, I know that that weekend at our church, in fact, I've, I've written blogs on it that I, I will title the blog, My Wife's Favorite Day, because of how that <laughs> impacted her. And I hadn't even thought of it going into it. You know, typical selfish male, I'm thinking about, okay, this is nerve wracking for me to share my totally. story. Not even thinking about, like, this is really for Michelle, the first time the door would be open for her that people would know my story. Mm. So I, you want to talk about that day from your I mean, I was a little nervous. Like, oh, yeah, what if everybody were. runs out? Totally, <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. Oh, my word. Um, but I was so proud of him sharing mm. and um, just excited. And then women started coming to me and they're like, I'm so glad it was you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just because they said, um, you know, Nick and I, they love us and they know us. And um, they said, because it was you, my husband can't say, well, it's like just because you don't look a certain way. So I was like, well, oh, you're welcome. (laughs) So glad to help. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was just, it was a really good day because I then had women in my own church that I could start groups with. And when you weren't carrying that burden of a secret yeah. totally. that you couldn't tell anyone about because right. it was my yeah. secret. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I have noticed that with friends, um, like throughout the years of being involved in Pure Desire, that there is this, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but the desire of any betrayed spouse or any spouse in that situation where they have uh, an addicted spouse or a spouse struggling with something really, really painful, that they want to protect their like their reputation. And I don't think that that's bad, but I think that sometimes that comes at a cost of that spouse where you feel suffocated and you can't share with anybody. And so there is a freedom to actually being able to share that with somebody, maybe not your whole church. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. to get up and say, hey, this is what my husband did, you know, does and struggles with, but still having that opportunity is really helpful. Although over time, it's like gospel, pure desire. <laughs> like, those are the two things. You heard like, it here Woo-hoo! first. <laughs> so um, I, obviously, you know, Nick, people know you're the executive director here. You speak, you've written books. You know, you guys have gotten to share your story um, on other platforms and podcasts uh, as well. But what would you say um, as a married couple, this has given as far as ministry is concerned? Like what kind of ministry do you guys have now because of the struggle you guys had? Uh, you know, things that you already mentioned, but the the way that we have in different places been able to share our story together, you know, I, I think that always impacts people because they say, well, we've, you know, we've often heard a guy share a story, but to hear the wife's perspective, to see a couple sharing together, uh, that's been impactful. And I, I remember just having a sense from the Lord early on, this this sense of if if you will share your story, I'll be faithful to use it. And I feel like and every Every time we share our story, someone's impacted by it. And mm. I really think the best level is when it's happening, you know, someone that contacts us online or someone through our church, getting to have that personal interaction still, yeah. you know, even as the director of Pure Desire, it's still those one-on-one connections that I think you see most directly like, wow, this really impacts people. And, mm. and that's important. And I mean, the other thing I'd say is really the ministry within our own home of the way we raise our kids. And, you know, that's not to say like we sit them down and talk through pure desire, (laughs) but just the level of conversation, the openness we have about marriage and sex and pornography and culture, like those were all the things totally missing in my family, even though we had a great family. Um, Just it kind of naturally comes out, you know, as I said, with our teenage girls, like we're having those conversations and it's not just, well, you better not do this because this is evil. It's, it's the ability to talk about, well, why is this dangerous? What does this do to your brain? What, 
what is maybe a young man thinking who's interested in you? And how yeah. do you know if he's sincere or just, you know, looking to meet some of his brokenness? Uh, yeah. It just has made such an impact. So I, I see that as a big ministry that we have to our own kids because we're free to tell our story. Um, when Nick was a pastor and I was his wife, I didn't really feel like we were in like ministry, like together ministry. It was mm. more like his ministry and I'll support him. But I felt like when we decided to come to Pure Desire, it was going to be both of our ministries yeah. because um, I just feel like I can help women. <laughs> so totally. And you are. I felt like it's together ministry instead of just one. Cool. So I was excited about that. That's and it's been cool. great. It's cool. So uh, let's say we've got a couple who um, maybe they are like in the discovery before recovery type of situation. Um, and maybe someone is like right in the thick of the recovery and healing. What would you say to people out there just to give them encouragement? I think what comes to mind for me today, I mean, I've, I've answered this question a lot of different ways <laughs> on a lot of different podcasts, but in, in telling our story again today, I'm just thinking back for how much I needed to have a mindset shift from just um, what is this doing to me? Why, you know, my own shame, why am I doing this to really begin listening to my wife? And I, I think that was a, a big part of our recovery as a couple was mm. my wife felt listened to. She felt heard. Yep. Um, she felt like when she said, this hurts me or this it makes me not trust you, mm -hmm. rather than me justifying it and telling her all the reasons she was wrong, <laughs> um, I would listen to. And not, I mean, not perfectly. There is still a part of me that wants to defend myself and stick up for myself. But it's like, okay, I've got to listen. I've got to change that defensive posture of performance and being right and and really just learn to listen and be humble. I I think that's maybe the biggest thing I would say to someone listening. You might be so focused on, I've got to change this behavior or we've got to change our marriage to just go to that mindset of get get your eyes off of yourself or your self-justifications and mm -hmm. really listen. And really, you know, we talked about it on another podcast with Harry, really practice empathy, really try to enter into their reality mm -hmm. because whether you believe it or not, it is their reality. Yeah. And their reality is dictating um, their experience in your marriage and in life. And so the more you can enter into someone else's reality, the more opportunity that you'll have to connect and to grow together. So um, that's just something today I'm reminded of as we share our story again, how yeah. important that is. Yeah. And I think like in the women's book, it starts off with a little bit of the husband's struggle, but then it's a lot of like dealing with your own stuff. And I feel like that is like really, really helpful to your marriage because if you both are in the group and then, I mean, he can do what he's going to do, right? But like you can get healthy for yourself mm -hmm. and then help the marriage become healthy and hopefully he will do the work. But I feel like you can be in group and get healthy, not, you know, no matter what the spouse is, yeah. is choosing to do, if that totally. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and you've, I mean, you've definitely led groups at our church with both where there's a spouse in there because their husband's in Seven mm -hmm. Pillars too, and the spouse that's in there because the husband is checked out or still addicted or gone, and and you've watched both sets of women really grow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I This episode was fun for me. I mean, <laughs> I like, I know you guys' story. I've heard you, your story before. Um, but it's cool to just like, in some ways we're getting like an inside look. I mean, people see you on the podcast all the time, but it's like, 
now we get to see the other half. We get to see the full marriage. We get to, <laughs> we get to hear from both sides. And again, like, you know, all the episodes where we do stories of healing, like are just our stories are so powerful. And there are just these differences and these nuances to it that I think can hit specific people uh, in really helpful ways. So I appreciate you guys' honesty, vulnerability. Uh, and I know you're practiced at sharing your story, but uh, it still felt super conversational. So thanks for just spending time doing it. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to freedom from the effects of sexual brokenness and betrayal trauma. And lastly, never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Every woman that takes a breath, this is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.